This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. Ignore my annoying nasally voice. I'm a little <laughs> sick, but I'm here with Colin. Like always, what's up, man? What's going on, man? Not much. We have a lot on our plate. We have a lot of what we're doing. Yeah. One of the things that we're super hyped about is the Digital Wildcatters vlog that we just launched. Yeah. If you haven't checked it out, we're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. If you just search Digital Wildcatters, we are uploading one vlog a week. Going to be doing a lot of other video content along with that as well. So if you want to kind of follow along on the journey, make sure to check us out on YouTube. I think we're at like a whopping 91 subscribers. We're at 91. So we're cl- clawing our way to 100. We're pretty famous <laughs> at this point. So we'll put a link in the show notes for you guys to go check that out and subscribe. It's a cool way to kind of follow us on our journey. A lot of people kind of were requesting that. And like Colin said, we'll also be doing hopefully some more video series to be determined what those actually look like. But we have a couple things in mind that I think people are really going to enjoy. And speaking of video, you might have seen a video that we put out on LinkedIn last week. We are looking for a sponsor for the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. So we are very strategic in who we are looking to partner with, looking for a company that provides value to our audience and has an aligned vision. So if you think that might be your company, feel free to reach out to either Jake and I. You can go on the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast website and reach out to us there, or you can find us on LinkedIn and we can have a conversation. Yep. We had a a whole bunch of people reach out. We had about 20 different companies. So we're having a lot of conversations, but really looking for the, the right partner, like Colin said. So. I got a review to read real quick before we get started. I want to read this five-star review from C. Trevor 23. He said, it's no surprise that the new startup podcast is outstanding. Consider the source. These guys know more than I could ever hope to. And if you see them record live, no notes, pure knowledge of the industry. So that's pretty generous. It is. That's, I mean. But I do appreciate the review (laughs) and the five stars. (laughs) He makes us sound a lot better than we are. (laughs) So number one way that you guys as listeners could help us is obviously sharing the show. If you want to send out a little email blast to everybody that you work with, just do email all at the company and just share an episode. That'd be cool. (laughs) But other than that, it's leaving, you know, a nice review and a rating that really helps us with the algorithm for iTunes and Google Play and stuff like that. And really helps kind of just get the message out there, more exposure for the guest and just helps us keep doing what we're doing. So if you have two seconds, please leave a review. So without further ado, let's introduce our guests for the day. Let's get us started. So we're here with the guys from LaserStream. We've got Jason, Brandon, and Scott. What's going on, guys? Hey, it's a good day. It's a good day. It's, it's, good not, day. it's not quite as cold as it was yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah nice and sunny. It's, still, it's yeah. too cold for Houston. I'm ready for that summer, but I know once the heat gets here, I'll be regretting it, yeah. wishing mm. that the cold is here. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So guys, we got we got three of you here. Scott and Jason, you guys are the founders of LaserStream, correct? Yes. That's okay, correct. great. And then Brandon was employee number one, correct? Yes. That's awesome. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So we got the guys here. So tell us a little bit about what LaserStream is, first of all. That way we know who we're talking. We're a laser-based inspection company. Brought laser profiling into the oil industry about five years ago. It's a very mature technology. It's used by DOD and NASA. So it doesn't have to be proven that, that it, op, it works and it operates properly. Dragging something new into the oil and gas industry is extremely hard. And I sat in an awful lot of these drilling meetings and going, we know nothing about the idea of our pipe. Mm-hmm. We only get ultrasonic. We get a little feedback from that. We look at it with a boroscope. We have no way to measure that ID accurately and a hundred percent so jason and i got together and we looked at him going hey the industry needs this it's valuable information and we hooked up and we started going from there it's kind of a recurring theme from all the technology companies that we've had on this podcast is it's not always a breaking technology it's been used in other applications and then oil and gas is always dragging their feet when it comes to utilizing this technology so i don't know how many times we've heard that on the podcast already and, and it's point. so funny that a lot of people will stumble upon a problem and i'm probably sure that you guys do the same thing you're like somebody has to be solving this right yeah there's no possible way that this could be an issue for this long and surprise that's the amazing thing about oil and gas is it's just the land of opportunity because there's billions of problems <laughs> yeah. yeah in every aspect of the industry well I, you know i described that 
being a drilling engineer 20 years plus in the industry, drilling wells really all over the world on some of the most advanced rigs, advanced projects out there. You know, all we use is pipe. It's the tool of our trade. You know, when you first get into petroleum engineering, they give you a pipe book and then they <laughs> teach you hydraulics and then they teach you all these things. And we don't have a way to measure the inside of our pipe. We don't have the me- way to measure the inside of our welds. And we're really just going off of guesses and rules of thumb and these models that are really based on very little real measurements. And we're making a lot of assumptions and, and we're not able to figure out these problems that are going on. I hear, yeah, I ran a computational fluid dynamics erosion model and I got two different results. Well, you know, that's because we don't have a way to measure it until you start you looking at new technology that's out there and it's proven. We're going in and measuring it. And the beauty is it's a digital record. So we take a digital snapshot of the inside of your pipe with millions of laser measurement points, good to a thousandth of an inch. And then you can pump a frack. Or you could drill through that pipe in the case of drilling riser. We can watch how that pipe's changing. We can take another snapshot, and then we can see the changes that are occurring in the pipe. And the beauty is it gives you this high-fidelity signature, so you can pinpoint exactly, is that corrosion? Is that erosion? Am I running a tool inside my pipe, like wireline, that's, that's gouging my pipe? And you start to understand these damage mechanisms. And to this date, we've really just been guessing or we've been mm-hmm. assuming that the damage has just been one thing when it actually could be a combination of factors. Well, it sounds like you're kind of taking the fun out of the oil field. I mean, that's part of the fun is guessing what you have going on down the hole. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, we assume, you know, from everything that, that the idea of the pipe is perfect circle. Yeah. And it's not. Mm-hmm. And it will vary all the way down the length. I mean, in your mind, you look at this thing and all the books tell us what nominal is. Mm-hmm. It's not what's in there and everything's figured from nominal yeah and everything's oval yep and and what's the oldest equation i mean it's older than the dead sea scrolls archimedes principle pi r squared Mm -hmm. we're grabbing an r that's sometimes Mm -hmm. one percent off or more and we're using it every day in our hydraulics models in our burst and collapse calculations everything goes back to pi r squared and we're using the Aaron r and it's amazed me when i first First pipe we scanned, some nine and five eights. Yeah. I looked in my, opened up my Halliburton book, and that was a number. If I was in a coma and I woke up, I could probably tell you a couple equations, but one of them is ID squared divided by 1029.4 gives you barrels per foot. I can tell you that in my sleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm using an ID that I'm now looking at, it's like 1% off. And I'm using it every day. Not every yep. day, I'm using it like multiple times a day. And we can do better. I mean, you, you know, and you talk to younger generation, they want to see it because they're like, man, I can pull up my iPhone and I can measure the dimensions of my neighbor's pool, <laughs> you know, and, but I can't, yeah. look, I don't know the dimensions of my pipe I'm using. So yeah, we can do it, but we, we can do it better. I know about these problems firsthand. I was a project manager from Venture Global Technology and I ran expandable casing and I don't know how many well bores in, in the Western hemisphere. And, you know, we'd go to do a clean out run before I'd run that expandable and, you know, they'd have five and a half inch production casing and we can't get our mill down for that clean out run. They're like, well, the, the OD of the mill is this and the ID is this. It should go down. I'm like, yeah, well, it's fucking not. So <laughs> something, something's wrong. <laughs> so, okay. I have a lot of questions on the technology. You said that, okay, so I got a few questions here. Jason, you just said that you're a drilling engineer for 20 years, correct? That's correct. Okay, so let's start with your story. And I, I want to hear both of y'all's stories, but let's start with you. You're drilling engineer for 20 years. Sounded like you were on a lot of projects. Kind of give us from point of conception all the way up to here. <laughs> <laughs> until you, From the time you were conceived <laughs> until today. Well, I went to A&M. I was in the Corps of Cadets. Had a great time at A&M. Did pretty well in school. Was really engaged in petroleum engineering. Like drilling, hired on for Amico early on, and Amico got bought by BP, and I got put into some some pretty neat projects. The Enterprise class rig, we brought out the first one. Man, I was on the rig four, and we did dual activity. That was an industry first. You're gonna you're gonna drill with two rotaries at the same time, and there was people saying the pipe's gonna get wrapped around each other, and <laughs> you're never gonna be able to keep it straight, and pipe's gonna fall on top of other pipe while you're trying to run it because there's too much stuff going on. But we did it. It worked. It, it's something that's proven and it works. There's been many of those things that I've, I've been a part of that, 
you watch and there's always there's always people saying you know well we're not that's not really going to add value and, and you got to have people believing in pushing it forward so then i did that and then i broke away started doing some consulting on land worked with a group that does a lot of drilling in texas then came back into deep water consulting and started a consulting company and then you know i was consulting on some projects i have con- some consultants out on projects and then i ran across a project where we had to measure erosion and they were looking for a way to do that. And they were framing up this project. And somebody said, hey, you need to get in touch with Scott King. He's already kind of working on the project. Plus, he's really knowledgeable in understanding pipe and pipe parameters and taking these exact measurements. And Scott said, man, we need a BEMA system. And he started telling me about it. Oil was 100 bucks, And I said, man, if this can do everything you say it can, let's go get one. And next thing I know, we've ordered one. We, we put a down payment on one. We flew up to Seattle. We get our Bema systems from Laser Techniques Company. Great company. They've been a great partner to us. And we we worked the deal out. And Scott already knew the people, so we were able to build that relationship and say, listen, we want to be your eyes and ears and, and really your oil and gas sector. Mm-hmm. And we started talking and framing up what that would look like, created a relationship over the years. And then so we're really the, their oil and gas arm. They want to build the equipment. They they build incredible equipment. The technology is just through the roof, and actually, it's it's on the space station that the, oh, they, wow. they, they scan the. Um, it's not on the space station, but they scan the COPV tanks that are on the space right. station going overhead right now. So it's incredible technology. They want to build it, and we've worked out a deal where we can take it and have access to all their advances and everything they're doing, and deliver this these systems into the oil industry, and work with operators to help use the technology to solve some of these problems that we've really just been guessing at. Yeah. yeah. So how did you guys meet? Scott and I? Yeah. Yeah. So th- someone recommended Scott to do this erosion study and we oh, were going to, okay. my consultant team was going to be a part of the project uh, and supply some of the manpower. And that's when I started talking to Scott to, to say, Hey, would you like to take on this project and help the operator understand erosion? Okay. And what about you, Scott? Well, a little bit about your background. My, my story. <laughs> 40 years in the oil and gas industry doing non-destructive testing. Probably half of my career is in R&D, and the other part is digging around out in the pipe yards and in the pipe mills. I've worked for two or three major oil companies as quality assurance and worked at a couple of pipe mills. Okay. So understand the process, understand how to look for discontinuities mm-hmm. and defects in pipes. So how did you get linked up with that laser company up in um, Seattle? I was a director of R&D for a pretty good-sized NDT lab here in Texas. And so that my job was to look for new technology and to solve problems for different sectors of industry. And I found this company that was putting this equipment out. Let me back up a little bit here. Jim Doyle, who, who owns LTC, was working for a company that got the equipment from the U.S. Navy. The Navy developed this technology to go inspect the boilers in, in nuclear submarines. Okay. And they let it out to be commercialized, and Jim was the head of it, so I ran across him. He didn't like what was going on at that company. He wanted to upgrade the equipment, do different things with the software and so they wouldn't do it so he left started his own company and that's kind of where we were went years without any contact with jim and this project came up the one jason was talking about i had done a project a mini project before that when i was at chevron the whole thing was how do you kill a well in 12 to 24 hours without burning through your frack iron the size of Macondo. And so it was scaled all down. And then we'd run an hour, take measurements, run an hour, take measurements. And we needed one of these laser systems to really do a good job. And we couldn't get one for that project. And then they upscaled the project. And Jason was a very large portion involved in that project. And that's how we got kind of hooked up. So okay. We went along like that. It's a really interesting story how some of that stuff, you know, comes circles back around. Oh, yeah. 
the technology is awesome. I've looked at a lot of technologies in, in NDT. And if you really want to know what's going on in the inside of pipe, this is the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. The only way. I've been on API committees, SC5 committees, a voting member in the MAG group, the manufacturers group, also a voting member in the resource group for non-destructive testing for years. So I've seen a lot mm-hmm. of stuff go by, and this is, this is the only way to look at pipe on the ID. So how does the technology actually work? So you're running this downhole. Do you guys run this? No, down- no, we don't. Mm-hmm. We don't run it downhole. We okay. want to, but uh, okay. that, that's Not another yet. story. I actually had a question here. I was going to ask: Is this used on surface when you're inspecting pipe before going in, or so typically the the pipes on a rack? Yeah, we show up. We can show up in a pipe yard. We can show up at a shipyard. We can show up on mm-hmm. the rig, and we can the pipes there on the rack. We load what's called a BEMIS system, borehole erosion measurement inspection system. We load it in the pipe. We either pull it on a cable for our smaller pipe, we pull it on a cable, and there's an encoder in the cable puller. And as the BEMIS is traveling through the pipe, it has a head that rotates, typically around 300 RPM. Every time it goes around, it's going to take 5,000 points of laser measurement. We're going to paint the inside of that pipe with millions of laser measurement points. And we're going to create a 3D point cloud of the entire ID with really high fidelity. And then... Well, the whole thing's adjustable. Yeah. The footprint on the laser is two thousandths of an inch. And we can adjust that draw rate anywhere from probably five thousandths of an inch up to one inch per revolution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do the math. I mean, that is a lot of data. And, about the and the beauty is it's digital, so we can we can filter out if there's potentially, you know, some noise or some glint, you know, we fil- we can filter it, but the, date, the measurements are direct. There's no, we're not running this through some kind of processor and then we're trying to look at it on a Ouija board, like a gamma ray log or something, and try to figure is that shell or sand? Let me, you know, it's not subjective. It's a direct measurement and it's millions of direct measurements. And then we can dump all that into SolidWorks and mm-hmm. then you can run an FEA model on a weld or a, mm-hmm. or a riser joint and then you can see how it performs. And so, because it is so exact and it's digital and it allows us to keep a really good record of all the pipe. And then it also allows us, because it's light, it allows us to go through and do stuff like go through connections. You know, UT and some of these other systems, well, they have trouble when they get into the ends or they get into the tool joint or they mm-hmm. get into the area where the pipe's changing geometry a well, lot. They, yeah, they can't do the ends. They can't do the ends. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll laser scan the ends. We'll laser scan the pin-to-pin interface. We'll wow. see damage in the pin-to-pin interface. We'll we'll go through the weld and we'll look at the weld and we'll see if there's lack of penetration in the weld. So it's just a way to start to understand our tubulars and understand, you know, how that ID, what it looks like new number one, but then how it changes over time as we use it. So we can do so many things with that laser. I think people get overwhelmed. Yeah. I mean, if it's pipe, if it's round, you got an ID. I mean, it doesn't matter what industry and you want to inspect the inside of this pen. Yeah. I mean, the smallest probe ever made is 90.09 inches. Wow. The largest probe is will run a 22-and-a-half-inch ID, and that we own that one. Oh, okay. So for some of our listeners, they may not be familiar with the traditional process of inspecting pipe, which includes you know, running a snake in a drift down, which can be you know pretty rudimentary to inspect pipe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell you a whole lot unless you know, that drift gets stuck, then yeah, you, you, you got a stuck drift, but that doesn't really tell you much. And yeah, that's that, really the only API check? Yeah, that's the minimum requirement. Mm-hmm. It's the only, the only inspection for ID is a drift. Yep. Well, yep. if you do your collapse modeling, ovality does play a factor in, in your collapse calculations. And there's, you know, we build things on API where they're minimums, you know, and there's a large, a, a large tolerance in ovality, eccentricity, all these factors. And we're like, we can design wells to, if we can just start designing wells to the actual pipe characteristics, this is the way you get more horsepower out of your pipe. This is the way you understand your pipe in a way to where you're not designing on a, on an API minimum, you're actually designing on the pipe's actual properties. Mm-hmm. And then you're able to, I mean, some of the ratings you're talking to, especially on collapse are going up. 40 50 percent just based on if you can ensure that the pipe is is not very oval and it's, it's actually more round yeah you can know the true specs of that that string mm-hmm. of casing mm-hmm. 
And you can start to sort your inventory and say, hey, I need collapse on the bottom of the well. Yeah. I put this pipe on the bottom where I need to collapse. I can put my uglier pipe on the top and it still get the burst rating. So mm. you start designing the well smarter. You start using the mm-hmm. pipe more efficiently. That's one area we're going. But the other thing we're really trying to solve is some of these damage mechanisms that, that people really have are having trouble getting a handle on. And one in particular we're attacking is erosion. We're really looking at erosion. We, have, we just did a, a pilot. worked out great. We have a couple proposals out, but what are we doing when we're fracking? Mm-hmm. Everything we frack through, we are eroding. And guess what? We're starting to pump more produced water. It's got more brine, more sulfides in it. Mm-hmm. We're starting to pump larger sand content. And people are starting to see, and the frack iron cost is going up. So people are saying, man, I, I can't just pump this stuff until it blows up. I, yeah. need, I need to start understanding my tubular assets. And if I can start understanding the damage rates and I can start understanding how quickly these things are going to wear out, I can have spares and I can have replacements. So I don't get mm-hmm. hit with that downtime. Mm-hmm. I say, yeah, hey, that manifold, that frack manifold is getting into the red. I need to change it out before the next yeah. frack yeah. so I don't blow it up. Yeah, we're talking a lot about frack iron, but yeah. our bread and butter today are production and drilling risers. Mm-hmm. And because Bessie's made some requirements as a result of Macondo. Yep. And we kind of fit that. Mm-hmm. We, we fit into that book. So that's really the best place and, to fit is when you have a technology and a, a government body mandates that yeah. you, you have to have these requirements and you can fit yourself in there. And the value proposition that you were just talking about on the well construction side of, you know, okay, we got this this pipe that may have a lower burst rating, a collapse rating. We can put this at the top of the well bore. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been on well bores where I'm having to patch up split collars from a fracking job. So mm-hmm. just having that insight and that data on your pipe that you're putting in your well and every single time, Oh, we don't know why we're popping collars. We've split collars on three of these wells. It's just junk Chinese pipe. Mm-hmm. It was a bad string of pipe. They don't know anything about their pipe. So I could see that. You well, know. My, my favorite is, is they blame it on the mud in your deer. Uh, it must have been <laughs> yeah. the mud in here. He must have pumped something. It must have been the drilling mud, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I come from the service side, so I know it's always a service hand's fault for, for something breaking. <laughs> well, you know, it's, a, it's like, you know, how many packers have, have they dropped out there? A lot. You know, that a lot, yeah, a lot, but nobody's going to admit to dropping a packer. Well, yeah. We do packer testing on a machined ring, and it has a, they do a minimum ID and a maximum ID, but no, we don't run any machined rings in our wells. You know, it, it casing is irregular. Yeah. It's, people call it oval. It's not even oval. Some of, we've seen star-shaped casing. We've seen, really? we've seen yeah. square casing. We've seen casing, you know, ovality. That's really we, interesting. It's a term lots, we use, but... Lots of geometry changes, it just wow. depending on what that piercing mandrel yeah. looks like. But, it seems but, like you guys would be needed continuously. So how do you guys... Do you come out in certain frequencies? Do you come out like once a quarter, or is it just as needed, or... Right, right now, we're all call-out service. Yeah, so yeah. you have, you tell us you have 20 yeah. joints, it's this size, it's in this area, and we give you a, a bid, and we go out and, and go execute the work. And and But we're starting to get into more programs. More where planned. We just did a baseline yeah, yeah. on a drilling riser. And they're going to do key seating modeling for wireline key seating and drill pipe key seating. And they're going to do the modeling, but... You know, part of the deal was, hey, what's the actual damage? Because this is a critical offshore environment. We got to know these damage rates. Well, we'll look at that string in 18 months. Yeah. And so now we're part of a package. We get the baseline. Then we look at it again in 18 months. We get exact measurements. How does that compare to the model? It was the model conservative. I think a lot of these models may be conservative. You might not be seeing the damage rates that the models are projecting and you can actually get more life out of some of these components. See, that's one thing. You know, the this part of the oil patch does not do is get baselines mm-hmm. and then get some data points as they go along. And now you can predict what's going on. Mm-hmm. the The refinery part of the oil field have been doing that for fifteen, twenty years. Yep. So. We've a uh, better planning. I mean, that's even something Jake and I have discussed. We're going to utilize some new technology on our wells, but like we need a baseline. We need to figure out what our baseline is before we want measured results. We don't want to just be guessing like, oh yeah, I think right. it's working, but you don't right. know. And, you know, coming from my expandable casing background, like I think about it, you know, 
with the expandable casing, I, I kind of consider, or I compare it to a Capri Sun packet. You know, if you have a little gouge in your pipe, it's like a Capri Sun where you have that little slit. And, you know, when you're running expandable casing, you're running this mandrel up through there. And if you've got a gouge that's deep enough, it'll just split that casing, right. you know, right down, right down the seam. And I mean, our inspection process was the same. You know, you run a drift. Yeah. If you have a, a gouge, you, you mic it and see how deep it is and if it's within the parameters. But I mean, you can't be doing that on a 40-foot joint. You can't be doing that halfway down. So that's- Well, and it, it's going to be how all these systems interact. You know, we want to th- call it corrosion or we want to call it something. But what we're seeing in some of our damage mechanisms, uh, in some of these pipes that's been pulled out of these wells, we do a lot of failure analysis. And we see wireline gouges. So what are we doing? We're running 50 stages. That's whatever. That's 50 wireline descents. And we're as the wells get deeper, we pull more tension in our systems. Well, that's more normal for us. So that's more friction and that's more damage. We're, and, and they make the wire line tough as heck. You know, mm-hmm. they, even Swimmerjay even calls their new one tough line. Well, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> but what is it doing to the casing? Well, then, then you're actually work hardening the casing. And then now that's a spot for more corrosion to occur potentially. Yeah. And then you're pumping sand down it and it's sandblasting. So we're seeing damage mechanisms on top of other damage mechanisms. And until you have a way like a mm-hmm. Bemis system and a, and a laser scan like this, you can't really resolve what's going on. All you see is, well, the wall got thin there, but you don't know, was that because the pin-to-pin interface was a little off or the wireline gouged a little too deep there? Well, we're actually measuring damage inside of damage. So you can start to resolve the different damage mechanisms and see how they all work together to potentially we've got We've got some, some things that look like coil tubing wear mm. with a wireline cut in the center of it and you can pick that out and measure it you get we get a profile we can come in on our skin and blow that sucker up and get a profile so you get a thumbprint of of what's going on this is a much better method than running a camera down hole too and trying to guess guess what you have or an impression block or anything like that (laughs) you aren't going to see that much with a camera is that a shadow or is that a pit yeah hmm (laughs) i don't know i used to run wireline kind of funny that you say that like yeah you know wireline's tough as hell and that's how i think about it i'm like oh it got drag you know what's it doing to my wireline but i'm never thinking about what's it doing to the casing (laughs) well yeah casing or wellheads everything and what we're seeing is we're seeing it not just in one spot we've seen it now in what four different basins we've seen significant wireline gouging in in pipe in out of coming out of four different basins so this is an industry-wide problem. Well, what were we running? We were running 64-arm calipers. Mm-hmm. 64-arm caliper is, isn't going to hit it. You're, yeah. you're not going to measure an acute section of damage that's in a wireline with a 64-arm caliper. Now we got a 5,000-arm laser caliper, mm-hmm. and we're picking it up. We're seeing it. We're seeing wireline key seat inside a drill pipe key mm-hmm. seating. And I think it's a significant damage mechanism. So where can we go with this? We can start doing predictive analytics. We can start having wireline wear models. Mm -hmm. We can start having erosion models. You can start having erosion model in your frack van. So as you're pumping, you're determining some kind of predictive erosion rates. You can have the same thing in your wireline truck. The the Mm -hmm. drag you're pulling and you have a wellbore trajectory with dog legs. You can start, hey, operator, I may be getting into a red zone on this this wireline gouge. Yeah, we get length, width, and depth. Yep. Volume. But everybody wants predictive analytics. Yeah. See, we, have, you got to have good data. If you, have, if you can start predicting where you're going to have trouble zones, like, hey, look, it's going to start getting a little sticky here. You know, well, we're when, to have corrosion or, or whatever. One of, our, one of our first jobs is we ran, we ran some dimensions on some casing, and we, it'd run down about six foot, and it run pretty good on the ID, and then it'd get real big. I mean, it was, it was over the API 1% on that ID. And it was over the API 1% for that ID. Then back towards the other end, it got right back into a good ID. So, and there were a lot of joints in that string that way. Well, Jason ran some of the calculations for the cementing. Well, how come you didn't bump that plug? Mm. Hmm. And they're always blaming it on. On what? They're blaming it on me. I was, you know, uh, yeah, I got, I got to land my, yeah, I'd have to land my plug in expandable casing. Like, I don't, I don't know. That's what my volume calculation shows. We should have been bumped already. (laughs) I mean, we're, we're typically, hey, you know, we were pretty good when wells were 8,000 feet and we were drilling wells, you know, around the Texas Gulf Coast and, you know, vertical wells. That's probably okay. Mm -hmm. But now you're talking 20,000 foot wells. You take 1% of your casing volume or your ID is off by 1%. And then you calculate over 20,000 feet versus 8,000 feet. Makes now you're difference. talking about 8, 15, maybe 20 barrels, depending on the size of casing mm-hmm. you're running. Mm-hmm. 
and we just, you know, people are like, well, you know, we got compressibility and fudge fat. I'm like, well, yeah, but don't you want a better, a better, better number? Don't better you want a number, yeah. a better yeah. number to start yeah. with? A better, that, a better baseline before well, you, you get then, down there. Then you got downtime, right? Yeah. How much that downtime cost offshore out there, out there in the Gulf of Mexico? It's expensive even on land. Like, yeah. you know, just telling you how many split casing colors I've had to replace them. I and you have to shut down a whole frack job to come in there and get a workover rig and, mm -hmm. and go run that. So, I mean, that's not cheap by any means, even on a land application. And it's funny that you're talking yeah. about your casing calipers. Like I tell operators all the time, you know, I'm going down hole to cover a leak. So I got to know that all of our casing below that leak is good as well. And they're like, well, we're going to run a casing caliper. And I'm like, look, a casing caliper is not going to find a small anomaly in your pipe. I said, the only way that you can test it downhole is by running a packer and pressure testing. I said, I don't like, I've run wireline, I've run caliper logs. I said, there, you're not going to find these small anomalies in your pipe. So, you know, what you guys are able to do, I think, you know, we're big on data and predictive analytics. And so that's even bigger play is like, okay, look, this is what we have baseline going in there. And then we can model instead of going off of this ID that's provided by the manufacturer and guessing, you know? Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple other things going on here. You were talking about expandable casing. Yeah. Most of that's ERW mm -hmm. because it, it can be a lot rounder. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you profile that with that well line? How's that done? Normally in the RW mills, they're looking at that weld trim and we check it with a micrometer on the ends. Well, it's good. Well, ooh, what about down the middle of that? Well, thing? that's exactly what I just said. Like you, yeah. you'll, you'll mic the pin in the box, but you're talking about a 40 foot <laughs> joint. What about the middle of the joint? You know, I, my arms aren't that long. I can't get down in the middle of that joint. So, but what you guys are able to do with taking all these data points and these data sets from the laser and essentially make a digital twin of the idea of that pipe. Yes. I mean, that's very valuable. Mm -hmm. So what are you guys seeing in the industry? First of all, how long have, I don't know if we asked this or not, but how long have you guys been at this? How long have you been doing it for? We got our first equipment in August 14. I think we did our first job yeah. right at the end of 14 and yeah. we, we got on a pretty good project. That there. was the CRA. Yeah, that was tubing. CRA and the same CRA thing. CRA tubing. They yeah. had this tubing out there and they were getting the, on the ends, they had to get a visual and they were getting a rep, thread rep out. He was coming out and the guy told us, he said, sometimes I don't know if he had a fight with his wife, he'd reject. 20, 30%. Sometimes he was in a good mood. Maybe his team won on Sunday. <laughs> Man, hey, all this pipe looks great. But they were running this pipe in a 20,000 PSI well, this tubing, the CRA tubing. And yeah. you got a tubing leak, and it's just going to be a nightmare for operations. But they, it was high-dollar tubing, so they wanted to rerun it. We started coming in, giving a digital scan, so it's not subjective. It's not a visual subjective yeah. look. We're giving you actual measurements all the way to the pin nose, through the D1 area of the coupling, we're getting measurements in there. Then we went back to the thread manufacturer, and they said, well, what will you accept? And they said, well, you know, like 5%, I think it was. We'll, we'll accept 5% mm -hmm. body 5%. loss in, in those areas. So, okay, your 4%, 3% is good. Load it on the truck. Not, you know, it's over 5%. Hey, we need to go. We need to find out where the damage ends. We'll cut it off right there and rethread it. So we're giving them all these measurements, and they were like, man, this is exactly yeah. what I need. They re-ran that pipe several times successfully. We started out just doing the ends. Yeah, and we start finding that stuff. They said, "Well, start scanning some, you know, every other one full length." Well, we found some rejectable defects, and I believe they're from the manufacturing process mm -hmm. that were run on a UT units three times. Wow, and never seen. And we found them, and they were rejectable. Well, so I, I see that helping out these, you know, these pipe companies yeah. a lot when they're getting it from the manufacturer, and it's, it's bad pipe from the beginning. You know, that's. Now you've got data to go lean back on and say, hey, this, this joint's bad. But beforehand, you know, you just kind of had to roll with it, yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> we got, we've got some ideas, and some of the design work's already been done, is to put a laser on the OD and a laser on the ID and run them in tandem. Mm. And, we, and now what do you have? You've got, you you've a, full got picture. All, you've a full picture. Completely. Mm -hmm. And it's digital. So you can go to your computer, design your well, and put, put what you want it in that well yeah, you could essentially you, know, you have a you have a digital mapping of each joint and you know you could yeah. essentially drag and drop each joint in place to see yeah. see what yeah. it's going to look like going you got down all, you got valley eccentricity and then you've got defects depending on what's your critical defect size 
in your run at that, and here's what you have. But you know, we've spent a lot of time focused on OCTG, and, yeah. and, but you can go to our LinkedIn page and you can look. I mean, we've done, we have an incredible system for progressive cavity staters. If you've ever seen a progressive cavity stator, it's, it's pretty exotic. I the, the dimensions on go, the inside. Go, go ahead and explain what that is because maybe I'm dense. But. Well, you have a, you have a rotor. <laughs> you, you have mud the rotor, motors. Your mud motors. You know, yeah, mud yeah, motors? yeah. Same kind of thing. Okay. Same thing. So we can okay. measure all those dimensions end idea. to end on your on your mud motor stator. Wow. And you have a, you have a rotor inside of a stator, and it's it's a very complex geometry, and that's what makes the mud motor turn mm-hmm. is they pump mud, drilling mud through it. Yep. Well, we're measuring all those dimensions end to end. Right now, they're using a mechanical mm-hmm. gauge. We go to some of these mud motor facilities, and they're like, "Well, yeah, we got Larry because he's got a he's got a calibrated finger for this mechanical gauge." <laughs> but you know, when Larry's sick or something, or he goes aside to work at another mud motor company, he lost his finger. Yeah, you know, what do you do? He lost his calibrated finger. <laughs> so we're not only just talking about OCDD tube encasing, but man, we're hitting the drilling tools. All your BHA tools. Yeah, subsurface yeah. safety valve. We've even scanned the BOP. We can scan the bore of the BOP. We've done a Coflex hose. No one knows how to inspect hoses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I don't know. We just run it and then and we change it out, you know, after our breaks. I tell people on some of this stuff, it's like who would drive down I-10 and wait for the tire to blow out and then change it? I mean, I wouldn't do that, but that's where we're at on a lot of these tubulars in the industry. We wait for them to leak, and then we change it out. Yeah. I mean, we can, you know, it's all about predictive analytics I'm mm-hmm. talking about, but it's here, man, we can do better. And that's the thing. And we see, and it's probably the best part about it is we see an engineer, he looks at our skin, he's like, I always envisioned that that occurred. I always theorized that that occurred, but now I'm actually seeing it. Yeah. And we did that for a pipeline engineer, and it was a pipe that they had brought out of an old oil field. And the water would ride on the bottom and the oil would ride on the top. And there was this train track of corrosion right there at the oil-water interface. We're able to map that and measure that all the way through the, that section of pipeline. And he said, yeah, he goes, I always envisioned this happened, but I've never been able to see it. So I say you're kind of robbing everybody of their fun. I mean, and you spend so many hours imagining like <laughs> and theorizing like, no, this is what's going on down hole, you know. <laughs> and now you're like, no, we're just going to tell you what's going on. We're going to rob you of all the fun of trying to guess. <laughs> no, it's super cool technology. Cut I'm glad those I- meeting times down a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm glad I reached out to you guys. I didn't think that it was going to be this cool of technology, you know. You talk about, you know, inspecting pipe, it kind of seems boring on, on the surface. There's nothing too fun about that. But when you start talking about all the data points that you're getting and how you can actually map out these joints of pipe and then use that for predictive analytics, and that's that's really Kind of going back to what you guys said about the manufacturing, have you ever thought about scanning the pipes, working with the manufacturers and scanning them from the point of inception Then imagining, you know, I buy you know, 200 pipes or whatever, and I've got a digital twin of each one of those, and it's already QC'd from the beginning. We did that. Oh, you did that? Yeah, oh. we uh, we we went and did a pilot. Shit, with, you're way ahead of yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but that that's a good, that's a really good question because we went and did a pilot with a mill. We spent a week there, and they pulled they put one on their offline UT unit, and they scanned the full length of it. And he said that baseline on the thing was clean when I was watching it run through. We got it, and we found a rejectable defect in the middle of the pipe. Oh, and. You know, we were trying to get them. They were they were running on some jobs. They were running about twenty five to thirty percent scrap rate offline. Well, it's way too late by the time they get offline because they've already done three or four changeovers on that mill. Mm-hmm. So they don't know where it's coming from. They don't know what way to tweak the mill, left or right. Yeah. And we we got down to the point of giving them a quote for a couple of systems in there, and then it just went black hole well and that's a lot about this industry okay and i didn't i didn't think it would be like this but after dealing with this i've learned that it's there's a term called disruptive technology it's mm-hmm. us and that's <laughs> us and i didn't really understand what that term meant but i do know now i know what it means and there's a great quote in moneyball you know when he's up there and he's visiting the yankees and i can't i won't quote it but but you listen to that quote and it's it's really sometimes what we face daily yep is it's new and for some reason people there's some people that just will just go against it just because it's just new mm-hmm. 
So let's talk about that. Like Jake, what, well, Jake, hold on. You have a really good tagline because Jake and I talk with a lot of tech companies outside of oil and gas. Like we have this, you know, this solution that's going to solve all oil and gas problems. And Jake has this good tagline. He says, "Oil and gas is the only industry that can have a billion dollar problem, and you have the solution, and you know they they won't look at it. They they yeah. don't care, even if you can save them a billion." We've been doing now. this the same way for fifty <laughs> years. I do it the same yeah. way my dad did it. Yeah. He did it the same way his dad did it. So what is your laser going to do yeah. that's going to help me, you know, drill better? Oh, whatever, maybe. When I was working at the oil companies, I'd always say, well, you're walking down the hall looking for the quarters and the dollars are flying over your head. <laughs> yep. I like that one. I'll have to use that one. That's are good. there any other like major objections that you guys get? Or is it kind of just like, it's new, we don't understand it, or they don't see the value? Or I think it's tough for them to see the value. Yeah. Because, you know, how do you put a value on... Like I've got a I've got a piece of pipe that's nine hundred dollars a foot, and I ran it. It didn't break. I inspected it. It didn't break, and then I have one that broke. How do you put a value on on that? I mean, mm-hmm. okay, we found we found this, and it didn't fail in the well. How do you put a value on that? Another thing that I see too. Yeah. It's a woulda, coulda, shoulda kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you know? yeah. it's kind of like not giving a shit yeah. about your diet for 60 years. Well, here's, here's, cancer. well, that's me. And then it's like, oh, well, here's a big, maybe I should have been eating right there. Here's a time. big barrier to get through, not just with you guys, but any technology is that, okay, say that you've got an engineer, you know, X oil company, whatever it is. That guy may be there for two years. He doesn't give a fuck about the longevity of the well bore. He doesn't mm-hmm. give a damn if that casing lasts five years from now, 10 years from now, what he cares about is drilling that well under budget. And I'm sure that your, you know, mm-hmm. inspection services cost more than traditional inspection services. So nah, it's hard not for really not. Okay. Let's talk about it in a minute. But you know, a lot of these people are, are worried about, you know, they've got to look good for their company doing things under budget, not spending a lot of money on, yeah. you know, new technology and they don't own the wells. So it's not like, you know, us where if we own wells and we plan on holding them those assets for a long time we care to have all that information so well i'll I'll say one other thing and i didn't realize this till i I went down this path and the industry does have some built-in barriers to new technology and some of it happens through these committees and and you sit on api committee about something well you got to be written into the API spec. And in that API spec, it references an ASME code. And then you got to be in that ASME code to be in the API spec. And these things layer on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And then the oil industries have left really all the R&D and everything to these big, super major conglomerates. Yep. You know, we can talk about who they are, but we don't have to. But these companies, they stack the board of these API decks to make sure their technology stays in the code and mm-hmm. not new technologies come in. You try to be... On a voting member of AP, well, you got to go to a, a conference in Calgary. Then you got to go to a conference in New Orleans. Then you got, I mean, as a small company, we can't, can't find the conferences yeah, yeah. every quarter mm-hmm. to sit can't on these board it. meetings. Yeah. And if they see something coming up, you can drag it out. These things are, they're kind of like the slow train to China. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So there's bureaucracy, oh, barriers. Politics. Yeah. Big time. Makes sense. Yeah. And, but they use some of these mechanisms to weed it out. And, and I don't like to complain because we've had success. We've done well. The internet yeah. helps. This stuff, stuff yeah. like this helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, LinkedIn, the newer generation of engineers coming in helps. We were just talking about LinkedIn before we got on the podcast and yeah. how powerful LinkedIn is for new technologies and startups. Like you have to be on LinkedIn and building those relationships. I mean, such underutilized tool for like, selling. Like you said, with, yeah. with the newer generation, it's a completely different buyer. It's not, I want to go and call up all these different companies and get demoed. By the time that they're calling you, they're already educated on most likely what they're going to buy thanks to the internet. So they're watching videos or listening mm-hmm. to podcasts or reading blogs or whatever it may be. And most likely they know probably almost as much as you do by the time they get to that meeting, yeah. or they should, mm-hmm. you know? And so it is a, Luckily, you know, we're seeing kind of this great crew change and it's a younger generation coming in and embracing new technologies. But I still think we do have some of the old hats and positions to where they're ultimately making the decisions. And I think a lot of the younger generation, I could see this to where I think they'd be a little bit hesitant to always pitch something that is new and disruptive, right? 
or maybe you have like once a quarter where you can pitch something new and disrupt <laughs> yeah. it and it's just like, like then it already, gets shut down it's like well, all right, I didn't wait like another three I already pitched months. two things this month yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like got a cool yeah. I don't got my fired. quota <laughs> got my quota you look at it and then 40 years looking back at things and you know the larger companies don't bring new technology to the table the small companies do mm-hmm. if you look at it yep. why would they I've invested two million dollars putting this this machine together, and I've been running it for the last fifteen years, mm-hmm. and it's been making me money. And I'm gonna block anything out because I've got people trained. I've, it doesn't break very much for me, so you know it's it's my cash cow. Yep, and I don't want anything interrupting my cash cow. Mm-hmm. And then we walk in, and I've seen them in in the ultrasonic side of the oil industry, I've seen companies go in and buy a company that was very innovative with what they're putting together and put that technology on the shelf. Oh, yeah. That's happened a lot yeah. throughout history, not just in oil and yeah, gas, yeah. but all industries. Yeah, just yeah. suppress. Aerospace. Yeah, yeah, yeah everywhere. And, and when yeah. We, we started talking with, with Jim Doyle, Laser Techniques, and we started talking to him about what we wanted to do, and he goes, you know, this is going to be disruptive. He mm-hmm. goes, but he's lived it. He's 15 years in front of us, on, mm-hmm. especially on the rifled barrel side. Yeah. He went to all these old, you know, all these old bases and he would say, oh, we got a boroscope and they would have one guy and he was a sergeant or whatever. And he would, he was the boroscope guy and he would look at all these barrels mm-hmm. and he, he couldn't get into that base. But then he finally started, he started chipping away. He started getting in the white sands. Mm-hmm. He started getting in Camp Pendleton. He started getting into the Navy's 55 Cal. He started some overseas military contracts under Paladins uh, took off. But he's digging in. Yeah. And that's the same path we're going. We didn't think it'd be quite as tough, but part of it's been this downturn. Yeah. Too. Yeah. We started out, we were going strong and one year into starting a new business and we get the rug pulled out as an industry. Yeah. You know, and yet, guess what? We're still functioning. Yep. We're still alive, and we don't owe anybody any money. I think that's that, awesome. So I I started my first company in oil and gas right at the same time you guys did, and so it was like oil was at one twenty, then it was at ninety, then it was eighty, and I was like, is this really a good time to start a company? Well, we wrote it all the way down to twenty five, and as you saw, everybody was worried about their jobs, so spending mm-hmm. completely stopped, and nobody knew what was going to happen. Wrote it out at twenty five for a little while, slowly creeped up, and then, but I think overall. The downturn was a good thing in terms of innovation because it forced everybody to reevaluate what they're doing, what they're spending money on, how yeah. they're cutting costs, being efficient, being more reliable. You know, I think downturns really is a breeding ground for that innovation. I think so. I, I think so. And, it, yeah. and I always tell people it was kind of like trying to sell ice cream at a funeral. I mean, you could have the best ice cream in the world. No one's in the mood, okay? They don't want it. So, I'll take, I'll take ice bad. cream anywhere. That's not, yeah, it's not a bad business model. <laughs> hey, ice cream truck at the funeral. When I, when I die, I want ice cream at my funeral. I got you. <laughs> yep. But, you know, our first big customer went bankrupt. You know, they, they just went mm. out of business, you know, yeah. and they stopped all the drilling and all, the whole project just went, you know, gone. We had a bunch of jobs lined up with them when they went bankrupt. That's yeah. terrible, especially when you yeah. start projecting your cash flow that yeah. you'd be getting from those projects, and then you, you know the the person paying. But every time, <laughs> every time we got a job, I told Scott, I, I said I kept trying to keep it simple. I tried to keep my business philosophies. I can't even remember three things, so I keep it to two. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> we got to get the word out, and in every chance we get, we have to execute. Yep. And I will say, Brandon and, and really Scott for helping write some of the procedures and making us a world-class NDT company, we've done that. We go out and execute. And that's what really kept me in it. Every time we did a job and I saw this data and saw what we were doing and looking in our pipe, we can fly inside our pipe and look around. I was like, wow, you know, this is, the systems are just too good. The data mm-hmm. is just too good. You, you can't walk away from this. Yep. And I guess when you were asking earlier, you know, what's a suggestion for startups is man, you got to be patient. And sometimes I'm a fisherman, and sometimes you just got to wait for the tide to change. You got to mm-hmm. sit there. You keep using the same bait. You're not really changing. You want to change stuff, but you don't. You got to convince yourself, hey, I need to stay steady, and wait for the tide to change. And we're starting to see the tide change, mm-hmm. and we're starting to see it. So, yeah, we're excited. That's uh, a that's a really good analogy. Startups. On, on the fishing yeah. aspect, and I like that. And I'm startup. I suck at fishing, so hopefully I'm better at business <laughs> yeah. than I am. I'm terrible. <laughs> I try, I'm patient in business. Yeah. I'm not patient in fishing. <laughs> oh, I think we all like to fish a little bit, but, <laughs> but it's one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. You know, and don't get in debt. Yep. 
Yep. As long as you don't get behind. And that's a, a good you know point that you just said a few minutes ago that you don't owe anybody money before we end this podcast. Let's talk about how'd y'all make the jump? How'd y'all, you know, I'm sure you both had great paying jobs. You know, you had to take that job. How did you guys bootstrap this, finance it? You know, how, how did you get going? Because I'm, I'm sure these laser systems aren't cheap, right? No, not cheap. Uh, yeah, well, we funded it initially just out of initial investment from yeah. us. We put in some money and, and got out of our, our own system. pockets. Awesome. Yeah. And then really, we, we were able to get some jobs and we were able to get some POs. And it really, I, we really funded ourselves kind of the old fashioned way. We went out, got jobs, got POs, got executed them and got paid. And then mm-hmm. we really pumped a lot of that money back into the company. And we had a lot of desire to, man, we need to go do this. We need to go, we need to, we need to get into an office, a big office or whatever. And we kept, we, I mean, we, I don't know, maybe three or four times we've gone and viewed offices and gone around and looked at stuff. We always kind of pulled back and said, you know, we just, we just hold on to that money, hold on to that money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we looking back on it, we've really tried to keep our costs really low. That's good. And, and it's really allowed mm-hmm. us to survive, but yeah, it's, you know, and then you kind of find you're, you're into this. You yeah. know, and, and now you're almost, you're kind of pregnant with it. Yeah. You know? so, <laughs> there's, there's no turning back now. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny what you mentioned about the office. I was listening to the book Angel and he was talking about that Taj Mahal syndrome. And he says that, you know, he's, Jason's one of the most successful angel investors of all time. And he says that it, he knows a tech company is done with when they start building out these huge, nice offices, campuses. He said, look at Apple, for example. He said they got this, you know, spaceship campus, but they haven't done anything innovative in the last four or five years. So mm-hmm. it's really important. I think you guys probably being self-funded, have you're a little bit more cautious of your burn rate and how much capital you're spending compared to, you know, you get a startup that goes and raises a, a round from VC, you know, they may not be as well prepared to control that burn rate because it's not their own money. So yeah. that's a, you know, a really good piece of advice or takeaway from anybody that may be listening to this that's going into business. You really have to control that type of stuff. And in, in our, our real close working relationship with Laser Techniques, they cut us some breaks on some of these systems. They, they gave us a little more of a discount than, than some of the clients and because he they really wanted to get a foothold into the energy industry mm-hmm. and they saw this as a partnership yep. and they saw us, we're really going to be the face of this technology down here in Houston in the oil and gas sector. So it was symbiotic, but there was some assistance there to, you know, keep the pain. Relationships mm-hmm. are everything, right? Having good yeah. relationships with your partners and having that trust there. I mean, it, I think everything in business yeah. boils down to that. You know, you can't go tackle the world by yourself. You have to have those good partnerships with people and make sure that it's a fit for everyone. Yeah. So, okay, before we wrap this up, you guys said you're on LinkedIn. Where can people find you? Do they search your your company page, LaserStream, on LinkedIn? Okay, awesome. So you can go on LinkedIn, search LaserStream. Y'all's website, I'm assuming, is it LaserStream.com? LaserStream LP. LP, LaserStream LP. And then we will include that in the show notes. So if anybody needs to get a hold of you guys, reach out to you there. Jake, you got anything closing out? No, man, that was a great episode. Yeah. So not coming from drilling operations or anything like that, it, I learned a lot. So thanks for, for coming and, and sharing some wisdom with me. Yeah, thank you, guys. Okay. Welcome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.